0: It's Doug here. I just wanted to pop in and say hello before I send it to the episode. This is one of our series of rebroadcasted episodes. And we're dipping way back in the vast catalog of the Mile Hi-Fi podcast to some of the early episodes. The thing is, we didn't have as many listeners as we do now. Now we have a lot more. So I know not everyone goes all the way back, especially when you're looking at something like 120 some odd episodes. Plus there are uh, so many other podcasts that you probably listen to. Anyway, this is way back episode 22. We talked to our friends, Alan and Katie Donigan, which actually works out pretty well because Alan and Katie are holding another extraordinary event. And this one is online. This is a five week course, which is free. All right. So it's free. And it's once a week, a 90 minute session with a new topic each week, starting Monday, November 21st. And it ends on Monday. December 19th. And it's over on Zoom or YouTube Live. And all the details are on their website. We'll we'll put a link for it so you can get over to it. But the important thing is it's coming up in a few weeks here. It's free and it sets you up for 2023 to have an extraordinary year, an extraordinary life. And uh, Alan says it more eloquently over on his website. So we'll link up to that. And the thing is, uh, this whole episode really dives back into, you know, what Alan and Katie are all about. So I hope you enjoy it. If you haven't checked out their podcast, they are part of the Mile Hi-Fi network. So hopefully you've You've uh, perused over there and taken a look, but we'll, of course, link over to that as well. So I'm not going to ramble on too much. I'll let you know that uh, Carl's still working on his house. He, he called in sick as normal, and uh, he's burned up all his PTO days, but I hope we'll be recording uh, soon. The cool part is in just a couple days, J.D. Roth and I are going to be recording uh, some of our our first uh, collaborations together, our first episodes together here. So really excited about that. And, you know, JD is going to be sort of a regular fixture around here for a little while. I'm not sure how long I'll I'll talk to JD and I'll talk to Carl and see what makes sense. But you'll have that to look forward to in the coming weeks. And if you have any specific questions or topic ideas or anything like that, shoot us an email. You could send it directly to me. Doug at milehighfi.com, or if you have any like specific questions or topics that you want JD and I to cover, that would be great as well. So always looking for new ideas and feedback from you. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. I'm going to send it to the episode. Thanks a lot for checking. Hello
1: world. Welcome to the Mile Hi Fi podcast. I'm Carl Jensen and I am here with my podcast partner. Doug Cunnington. And we have two very, very special guests today who came all the way from the UK just for this. Well, probably not, but I'm, I'm going to go with it. Uh, who are you and what do you do?
2: Uh, I'm Alan Donegan. I'm Katie Donegan. This is a very profound question, isn't it's it? It's a very who difficult question to answer. What do you do? Explain do you your do? existence. Well, it's like
3: it becomes at a certain point because mostly people define themselves by their job. So what do you do? It's like, I am an account manager at X, or I am this. Then you get to financial independence, and you you go, I've tried, am I retired? I'm retired. And people look at you a bit weird and then think you're a bit valueless in the community, so they kind of write you off. Then you go, well, I'm a business owner, and then you go, well, I'm a podcaster, and you try all sorts of different subjects, and I've not found a good one. So uh, I'm Alan. (laughs) That's it.
0: You exist.
3: I exist. I'm just me. I do stuff. I do have titles, like co-founder of Rebel Business School, husband of the year, husband of Katie, and like so I can define myself in those terms.
1: So you said you're husband of the year, and I don't think Katie has ever earned wife of the year, right?
3: Oh, she is definitely.
1: She okay. What about
2: rear of the year?
1: <laughs> katie do you tear do you care to take a stab at the question
2: oh my goodness um what do you do Katie? what do i do
3: yeah show your value to the world
2: i i play a lot with data and graphs i that is how i get my geek on um i play with graphs and data um and i fanny around the world
3: you're into calisthenics you love music
2: i always look to you to help me to answer this yeah. question it's alan actually
3: easier to answer it for someone else
2: define me yeah
3: so katie is a globe-trotting musician that loves data
2: oh that's quite succinct i like that i might mm. adopt that
1: I, I do have to say i really like your answer katie because as alan said when you say you're, you're retired people judge you and they might kind of dismiss you after that if you say it, you really don't know what to say. I come across all the t- this all the time, but by saying you do data and statistics, people are just going to like be like, "Oh, okay." Um, conversation ender. Unless you happen to be with <laughs> be talking to a data scientist, and then they're going to move on to better things to talk about. So, I might steal that, even though I don't do any of that. Oh, what, so really what like. you're
2: saying is give some really boring answer so that people don't want to engage,
1: or like hoity-toity fancy answer, <laughs> like I I analyze data, blah blah blah, just a bunch of bullshit, basically. <laughs>
3: But it wasn't bullshit. Katie actually does
1: love data. <laughs> it would be bullshit for me, though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what I'm hearing is that my answer is bullshit. Mm-hmm, that's
3: what I had.
0: <laughs> I, I was going to say I want to dig into it later. That sounds Ooh. interesting. I might understand part of it or some of the words that you use. But I know I want to hear about how you guys in- initially met.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I'd like to talk about our origin story i'll call it because that sounds pretty posh or fancy as we say in the united states so i went to the jl collins chautauqua back in 2017 in ecuador and i was there as an attendee and alan and katie happened to be there as attendees as well and i admit that i thought Ellen was kind of obnoxious at first he was i remember there was one day where no one was coming for dinner and all of a sudden, I hear this English voice, attention, everyone. Uh, maybe you could do I can't do an accent. I'll just butcher it.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, dinner
2: is served. That was the first night. <laughs> that was the first night.
1: It, but it was super loud. I'm like, oh, my God. And I, I was much more of an introvert than I am right now. So I'm like, I'm just going to avoid this guy. But then we had lunch, I think, or breakfast. I think it was probably Wednesday morning. And I remember it distinctly because you had a shirt that said something about New York. And I had a Sean the sheep shirt on, so we're uh kind of reflective of each other's uh, culture or uh, home country and 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 then you gave a talk I think on Thursday night you may have given a talk, and that's the only time I think that's ever been done at a Chautauqua where a non speaker has a formal presentation. I know jail it's a very curated well done experience in jail that doesn't want to rock the boat, but here you two go up and you gave one of the best talks I've ever seen. I had taken a public speaking class in college, and you get up there with your note cards, and you recite a couple points, and you're all stiff, and then you got up there, and you're like, holy shit. And I remember thinking in my head, this guy could be up there talking about staplers for an hour and be entertaining. So <laughs> after that, I talked to Alan a little bit. I'm like, Alan, I'm absolutely, deathly terrified of public speaking, but you, you've inspired me. If I have another chance, I'm going to do it. And in the back of my head, I was going, ah, who the hell is going to want me to public speak? This is never going to happen. And then I remember, like it was like a month after we got back, I, I get an email saying, hey, I'm from CSU, I'm this professor up here, would you like to come talk to my class? I'm like, ah, shit. <laughs> like, I know I told them all this, but I didn't think it would actually happen. But now since I told them that, I have to do it. So I went up there and did it. I was terrified. I probably did a shitty job, but it inspired me to do it more. And I've probably done it 10 or 15 times, and I'm a better person for it. And all that is just because I met you in Ecuador, so I'm very thankful for it. So now that I've talked about me forever, uh, we're done with the podcast. Uh, <laughs> okay. no, um, no, no. That's a wrap. Just kidding. But uh, I'm very thankful because sometimes you meet people in your life who are inflection points that send your life in a different direction. And meeting Ellen and Katie in Ecuador was one of those inflection points for me. So thank you.
3: It's a pleasure. I kind of have a belief that it, anything is possible for you to learn. And that comes down to you want to learn public speaking. You want to learn SEO. You want to learn how to build a website. It doesn't really matter what it is. You can learn anything if you take time to do it. But I think most people just kind of like maybe watch a five minute youtube video have a go and then go that was hideous i never want to do that again they don't actually study and learn and prepare and grow and that's the bit like public speaking is a skill and you learn it you develop it and then you have a go at it just like
2: any of the other things well you're not born being that good
3: Definitely not. I did not pop out of the womb going, ladies and gentlemen, hello, welcome to the uh, delivery room. I've got
2: like a a weird sleazy kind (laughs) of presenting then.
3: I don't know, but I was not born being able to do that stuff. I was scared, just like everyone else. I hated it. I was a kid that uh, I couldn't talk to strangers. I couldn't talk to anyone. I was definitely scared of talking to strangers being around people i would sweat and get nervous and it's something i've had to learn over the years because yeah it helps to be able to talk to other people to be successful
0: in life very helpful and at the risk of going into you know changing this into a therapy session <laughs> what was your childhood like or did you have any particular um just characteristics or anything
3: Characteristics-wise, I was uh, overweight, with glasses, and heavily bullied at school, which meant I didn't like talking to strangers, I didn't like talking to anyone else. I really didn't enjoy large portions of my childhood. I hated it. Uh, And I remember there's one particular instance at school where you're in the playground, it's at break time, all the kids are playing, and... The other kids, like, I went up to them to say, what are they doing? And, uh, they told me they'd formed the, I hate Alan Donegan club. And I just kind of went and sat on my own and cried at the side. And that was, that is indicative. I always wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be part. I just wanted to fit in and I never did.
0: Yeah. It's pretty, pretty heavy.
1: Yeah. Oh, geez. That, uh, yeah, that's rough. I was gonna—I had a joke in my mind, but now it would be highly inappropriate. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I had the joke as well that I was thinking, when Doug said, at the risk of turning this into a therapy session, and I was going to say, let's dig into Alan's pain. And that's, that seems inappropriate now as well. Yes. Yeah. But I
3: think that feeling of not fitting in, I don't know, have you ever, Doug, Carl, had that feeling that you just don't fit in?
0: Yes, definitely. I think I'm a good chameleon and blender into a situation and kind of just stay off to the side most of the time. I think still probably, but that, that served well not to be noticed (laughs) for, for a long time. So, and then I'm sure I could, if I racked my brains, if we did turn this into a real therapy session, I could figure out some specifics, but yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. How about you?
1: Yeah, I had uh, I had speech impediments as a kid. I couldn't talk. I stuttered. And on top of that, my legs were like deformed. So I had to wear these. If you remember Forrest Gump, we were talking about Forrest Gump this morning. He had to wear these braces on his legs. Yeah, a great movie. And I had to wear a similar brace thing in school. And without exception, I had to wear these stupid fucking things. And uh, they're not fucking things. They fix my legs. But yeah, kids make fun of you. The thing I learned is when they make fun of you, if you really beat the shit out of one of them <laughs> then all the rest shot up after that. But it's tough. You shouldn't, I don't advocate physical violence in any way, but it's um, yeah, shitty that you have to pummel someone to stop everyone else. And then that doesn't gain you any friends anyway. So I'm mm-hmm. curious, as, uh, how did you overcome this Alan? I, I mean, that's rough. And these stories surprised because uh, I don't think a lot of people recover from that trauma or it's difficult. And, it kind of shapes the person there as an adult, but you're clearly not like that. I'm surprised to hear that because I wouldn't expect that. I, if you would have asked me about your childhood, I would have thought you, were, you would be class president and on the <laughs> playground d- directing what you're going to do. So how okay. did you turn this around? Well, just before I get to that, it's interesting you said you thought
3: I was obnoxious in Ecuador that first night. Uh, the, my side of that experience is Katie and I arrived in the room for the dinner the first night at the Chautauqua and all of the groups were already formed and we stood on the edge, nervous. And I didn't know how to break into the conversations. I felt awkward. I felt like I wanted to be there. I said to Katie, can we just leave? Like, I'm, I don't want to be here. Can we just leave? And then one of the waitresses came out. And she was trying to get everyone's attention, but no one could hear her. Everyone ignored her. So I offered to help and said, I can get everyone's attention. So I shouted to everyone, come into the dining room. Uh, and then we, like, you're forced to sit at a table with other people. And then conversation started. But actually, that was my way of not running away from that event, scared. Wow. Um, So it's really interesting when you see the different perspectives and what's going on in people's minds at these different points.
1: Yeah, we make these assumptions in our head. And like this time, the assumption was completely wrong and opposite. And now we both have lifelong friends from that, mutual friends, Jason and Shana and other people who we keep in contact with to this day, four years after it happened.
3: Yeah, it's an incredible event. I loved it. And the question you asked was, how did I overcome it? Uh, Bit by bit. And there was a definite key moment when my life took another turn for the worst when I was about 21 or 22. I was working for the family business. You, my parents were getting divorced. You do not want to work in the family business when your parents are getting divorced, worst place you could be. So I left that. So I lost my job. My family's a mess. I went to see my girlfriend and said, let's go away. I want to go to Brazil. I've always wanted to go to Brazil. Come away to Brazil with me. And she said, I don't love you. We need to break up. Uh, so family, job and significant other all fell to pieces. Um, and I booked myself a solo trip to Brazil. And as I was leaving, there was this guy, Matvey Mihailovich Ananin. What an amazing name. And he handed me a book, which was called Notes from a Friend by Tony Robbins. And it's a very small starter self-development book. And I took it to Brazil. And I remember being sat on Copacabana Beach, lost and on my own, reading this self-development book uh, whilst staring at the attractive people walking past, (laughs) obviously. And that changed my world. And one of the things is you can learn anything you want to if you put your mind into it. And there was lots of concepts in there that have stuck with me. And I thought, wow, okay. So I just need to learn how to be confident. I need to learn how to speak to people. This is just learnt behaviors, skills, thinking patterns. So uh, I went on an epic self development pilgrimage to learn everything I could about confidence, life, selling, connecting. like at the start, it was just about being confident enough to talk to strangers. That was it.
0: And that was when you were 21? Yeah. Okay. And then how long were you in Brazil and did you start doing things like on that trip? Were you ready to like test the limit of your confidence and all that stuff?
3: I was in Brazil for three weeks and it definitely tested the limits of my confidence. Uh, when I showed up, you get, I got a taxi from the airport to the hotel and if you can imagine the scene, you're in sort of a, a ta- this was a few years ago, but I was in the taxi, you're going through the streets of Rio de Janeiro, and uh, it starts to get a bit sketchier and as we get nearer, there's one of those oil drums with flames and people huddling around them. there's a burnt out car, and then there's this big building with bars on the window, and the taxi driver goes, "That's your hotel." <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> Uh, And that was the start of my journey in Brazil. And it was, yeah, it was just so out of my comfort zone. Like a random pasty Englishman in Brazil on his own, just trying to figure out what to do. And yeah, I didn't stay at that hotel for more than a night. I booked myself another place, made friends with the uh, lady who translated the contract who turned out to sell weed and other services on the side. And we made friends and went out for dinner. Um, And it's just the most random trip ever. But that definitely, it changed everything. That one book. You know how you talk about those moments where you meet someone who gives you something? It's that, that book, that idea, that thought that you can build your life. You can take control if you want to.
1: Awesome. I'd like to talk about the confidence word a little bit more. I was talking to our mutual friend, J.L. Collins, a month or two ago, and we were talking about confidence as well. And what he was saying is people treat you much different if you're a confident person. So if you don't have confidence, you should fake it because people react to you much differently. How did you turn that around? How did you get confidence? (laughs) how do you just get, i wish you could
3: buy it off a store shelf and you could just go into walmart or target Drug. they've got confidence well there are some drugs that supposedly give you that but i do not recommend <laughs> that as a sustainable method to get confidence um for me like reading the books it started to lead to it's the way you think about situations And it's the habitual thought patterns that go through your head. So quite often people think about everything that could go wrong. So they're coming up to doing a presentation, they're coming up to doing a pitch, they're coming up to going to an event, and they start thinking, what if it goes wrong? What if they don't like me? What if this happens? What if that happens? And your mind goes into this desperate spiral loop of badness. And you think about everything that could go wrong rather than What could go right? So I think step one is taking control of the questions you habitually ask yourself. Because if you always ask what could go wrong, your mind will find that for you. If you could ask what could be fun? How could I make this fun? What could go right? What could be enjoyable? Your mind will start to look for that. The challenge is people's minds have been trained for decades to think in a way that makes them feel nervous, feel bad. Um, Then there's some different uh, tricks and tips around body language, the way you stand and the way you move. And I think if you looked at me now compared to when I was a kid, like I look like a different person. I'm taller, I'm straighter. Like, I have more eye contact, I have more energy. And there's a bunch of tips around that. And you just, you start to study confidence and you start to work out what people do to feel confident because it's a feeling. And where do feelings come from? Inside you. And you generate them. Like, if you wanted to feel nervous and shy now, you probably could. You just have to think a certain way. And if you want to feel confident... You probably could. The challenge is confidence feels different and uncomfortable for most people because they're not used to being in that state. So when they generate confidence, they're like, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like me. And the only reason it doesn't feel like them is because they don't do it regularly. So if you start to generate it, it starts to feel natural. And then you start to go, well, actually, I could be a confident person. I can do this. Uh, And then you get people respond to you in a different way. So that reinforces the loop. It's like, I've been confident. Doug smiles at me and gains eye contact. Awesome. I'm getting positive feedback. So I'll be more confident. And you tell jokes and you have fun. And then suddenly people like being around you. Uh, And it's really interesting. That self-reinforcing loop of confidence that comes back. Doesn't mean you don't get nervous and have weirdness still. It just means that you know how to get into a confident state and start to build that reinforced loop. Did that, that was a long answer. Did any of that make sense?
0: So much sense. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, one with Carl, I know you said you were nervous to speak more and Alan it inspired you to, to do more speaking. So did you have a similar experience or how did your um, path go?
1: Yeah, I was, I thought I had a couple of weeks ago as I'm about to give a speech in front of, I think, close to a thousand people at the economy conference. And I'm less nervous about that than I was talking to 10 people in 2018, at the beginning of 2018 at CSU. And yeah, it's a lot of what you said and building on little wins. Okay. I talked to 10 people and I was freaking out. Like my leg was actually shaking. Luckily they had us, this podium thing that I could hide <laughs> my, hide yeah, I could hide my leg behind. <laughs> Then I'm like, okay, I did this once. I should volunteer. We're going to this camp, camp FI. I. I'll ask if I should give a talk there. And I was pretty nervous, but not quite as bad. So I, I built on the existing wins. I built on the past wins, if they were wins, but at least I had gotten out and done something. So I tried to build them and do a little bit better every time. Take notes, figure out what worked, solicit feedback from people and improve every time and just get a little bit better. And like you said, I'll still be nervous with the economy thing. But with the economy talk, but it's not so much how we feel inside us, what we do with those thoughts. Are we going to entertain those scary thoughts and let them bubble to the surface and consume us? Or are we going to say, okay, this is going to be scary, but here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write the best talk of my life and I'm going to make it funny and I can envision the crowd laughing at me, and that's going to make it easier. So right from the get-go, I'll get a reaction. So that's one part. And the other part is studying people i was thinking about our mutual friend sean who we met in oaxaca and he strikes me as a very confident person so i pay attention to him and see what he does we were on a hike out here and he'll just talk to anyone who passes by like hey how's it going and sometimes the other person will be kind of looking at the ground like they don't want to engage in conversation and then the other person like oh yeah i'm doing fine and then he'll say what's your name and the other person will be like oh yeah i'm blah 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 then you see the other person start to open up and so studying people like that and how they deal with other people, I've learned a lot. And I know you're more like that too. You'll go up to someone and start talking. So even though I don't want to do that, I don't like going up to random people and having a conversation. But now I'll do it. I just had a conversation with someone on a plane, which I've never done before. And I did that like two days ago. I we talked for like half the flight, and it was fine. I don't think we annoyed each other. And uh, trying to shove yourself out of the, out of the comfort zone whenever you can, as you said, I think this is one of your slides. All your Growth comes when you become uncomfortable. If you stay in your little silo, you're never going to grow.
3: Yeah, everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, you'd already have it. If you were (laughs) comfortable getting it, you would go and get it. So everything in life you want is outside your comfort zone. And then you start to realize discomfort is a sign of progress. And you go, oh, that's interesting. How can I get more uncomfortable? (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. try these experiences don't poke me Katie guys. I thought that might help <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and I'm curious Katie had, did you have any sort of challenges either well what about your childhood and confidence and sort of anything interesting in that
2: hmm. on paper I was highly bulliable um, <laughs> I, I went to the school that my mum taught at, she was a chemistry teacher at my high school Um, I was super geeky, I wore glasses, Um, yeah, but I think what saved me is that I was also into sport and music, and well, the music thing was still geeky. The sport thing saved me, Um, so I was kind of friends-ish with the cool kids through that. Um, But yeah, I don't know how I avoided getting bullied, because if you look at that on paper, that, that looks quite horrific. Well, I think um, it
3: was the confidence around playing soccer football.
2: Maybe. I didn't play that at school though. I think I was just I was just witty enough that I got away with it and I had enough friends as a buffer as well I think. So I think if you've got friends that are there and would stand up for you that helps a lot as well. Oh. Um but my confidence has definitely grown and grown and grown as I get older. Um, I think a big part of that was my job. I was a consultant and you had to go and talk to the client and you had to be able to make friends. Um, And at first that was so scary. Like, go and talk to this person and ask them questions about how they do their job. And I'm like, oh, I'm like a child compared to them. And what do I know? And I have to, like, interview them. Um, But, yeah, I just got used to making friends and could adapt to the different people. And sometimes they were super grumpy and I'd try and make friends first and make them laugh. And yeah, I think when I first met Alan, I was not really confident at all. Uh, And he pushed me into the deep end and went, (laughs) off you go. You'll be fine. Um, I remember when, Alan was friends with a couple that were a lot older and I was just like, oh, these like old people, they're probably in their fifties. Um, Cause and I was in my twenties and when people in their fifties seem very old when you're in your twenties. And I was like, what am I going to talk about to these people? And I would just sit there mute um and not know what to say and feel like really out of place.
3: Like, give full answers. Give full yeah. Answers. I used to give
2: one word answers. I remember sat with your mum um, and she would be like, Oh, how was, how was your day at university? And I was like, good. And just sit like, and uh, sit and nod. And so he prompted me to actually like keep the conversation going. Cause I'd just be like, good. Thanks. <laughs> and it, it just feels weird even now to offer extra information, but that's how you get the conversation going. So I don't know. I guess I was taught like, don't offer stuff if no one specifically asks for it um actually the reverse
3: is true opening up and being vulnerable is what connects
2: exactly so people now when they ask me like how are you like how's things it feels weird to say more than just oh good thanks you know like same old same old to actually say well this is going on this is going on and to actually open up and offer information that they can latch onto to ask more questions and that's how conversation forms obviously rather than just (laughs) killing it by going (laughs) fine thanks good good yeah. Uh, and this. now I've experienced being on the other side of that when I I like to think I'm very good at asking oh. questions in conversations and I'll say like someone will say something and I'll think like, Oh, that's interesting, what about that? Um and they might just give a, a one word answer and to try and like
3: drag stuff. Teenager out of we them. met in Colombia. We were kind of forced together. And it was like you need to make friends And so I would ask questions And I think after about the sixth or seventh question With monosyllabic answers I was just like I'm done here I just don't have energy to try and drag this stuff out of you um, But it's interesting And there is a balance the other way The like talkers Yes It's really fascinating I don't know Do you ever have someone that you meet And you don't say anything for an hour?
0: occasionally and i I was just thinking you know you you said it was a teenager and i'm thinking about some younger people who are often in their phone or in some other world which us as um not just adults but middle-aged folks i mean we do the same thing
2: (laughs) when does middle age start i don't know but i'm not i don't want to be middle-aged
0: i don't know how long do you think you're going to live i guess that's That's how how i do the math but i'm 42 as well Sorry, it got dark <laughs> it really got very quick. dark.
3: You called me middle-aged and that was
2: my point. No, I think it's no. like work out when you think you're going to die, divide it by two, and that's when you're middle-aged. Okay, so I've got about eight years left. <laughs> Until you're middle-aged.
0: <laughs> so there, was there a question in there? Oh, yeah, you asked uh, where you may be in a situation and no one says anything. And, yeah, and sometimes, I mean, I will... I will actively participate in that sometimes. Um, I think um, I'm pretty introverted, so a lot of times I'm pretty happy to just sit and not chat unless there's, I don't know, just some other external factor or I just happen to be chatty that day. I don't know. Too much beer? Yeah, it's, it's like too much beer, not enough coffee or vice versa. The
2: is and the downers. you got to get yeah. the balance right. So yep. what do you...
3: What do you think of the terms introvert and extrovert? Do you think they're useful terms? Do you think they're productive? Do you think they actually fit people?
0: I think it's a good descriptor since we can paint with a broad brush and kind of understand what someone means. But, you know, I say I'm more introverted, but there are some times where I want to hang out with a bunch of people and, you know, I I go back and forth and I assume there's a lot of people that are have sort of a blend and it could depend on their mood or what else is going on. So i I probably fall more in the middle, but I think, yes, I think it's useful. What about you, Carl?
1: Yeah, I think it's a spectrum and I
0: believe this because of
1: my own experience. So I'll talk about that in a second, but I believe no one is really a super introvert. It's just the amount of people, the spectrum of people that they feel comfortable around is probably a lot narrower. There's some people like politician types who can yeah, like go up and talk to anyone and, and have a great conversation, make the other person feel good. But one thing, I, I'll go back to my own public speaking really quick. Since I did that, I've had two people tell me one was Jail Collins' wife and another one was a friend named Bill. Who, after I met you and did these talks, they came up and said to me, Hey, Carl, you're a, you're a much different person than the one I met. And both of these people were people who I had met. And then there was a span of like two or three years until I saw him again. And and I remember the bill guy, he's like, you're, you're no one. You're not the person you were before. And that was a compliment. So where I was going with that is, I think you can change too. I think you could – I think I was a pretty severe introvert before. But now I'm not so much anymore. I'm definitely not that politician type who can – Go up to anyone and then and go crazy. But I think you can change and become better if that's what you want to do. And I try to practice this. We have all these events at the HQ, our co working space, and there's always two people, a couple, or a person just standing there against the wall. And I always make a point to go up and engage those people. And it's because I remember being that person. I remember Mm -hmm. the person standing up against the wall, looking down at the ground, not making eye contact. So I remember how uncomfortable that was and I don't want these people to feel like that. And almost, yeah, without exception, they always open up. They're just a little bit shy or they're in a new environment like you are in Ecuador where they know zero people and they just don't know how to break the ice. So I go do that for them. So yeah, you could change and I think it's a worthwhile goal to change if you are an extreme introvert, find some challenge to come out of your shell a little bit. For me, that was public speaking, which has changed my life for the better.
2: I think that's great that you take it upon yourself to help those people to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I found that when I have a role, whether self-assigned or not, that really helps as well. So if I have put on an event or I have a role at an event, it makes it easier and be like, oh, it's my job to go and talk to these people and engage people. And that helps. So maybe... (laughs) Maybe in the future, I'll just pretend like just I'm Just so, volunteer at
3: every event. <laughs> I'll pretend
2: I'm really important. And be like, oh, yes, it's my job to say hello to everyone. Um, and that just shift in your mind helps a lot, I think.
0: So I think we're probably ready to shift into the public speaking portion where you really accelerated your, your growth. And I was doing some research and I, well, I listened to podcasts that you were on. <laughs> you weren't a lot. You weren't a lot of podcasts I discovered once I, I searched for that.
3: This yeah, man you is You Google my name and it kind of comes up everywhere.
0: So how did you get into public speaking?
3: Uh, I went on this training course that completely changed my life, helped me to feel more confident. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I want to share it with other people. And I got fired from my job. Couldn't find a job I actually wanted, so decided to start a training company. And at that point, I realised if you start a training company, you have to do presentations. I was like, ah, I better learn this stuff. Uh, So uh, I joined Toastmasters. I don't know if you've heard of Toastmasters. Um, It's a public speaking leadership group where you go and learn and practice. And I not only joined Toastmasters, I got super geeky about it and I applied my learning skills i bought every toastmasters manual i brought books on public speaking i did youtube videos i found the audio sets they have the world championship of public speaking and i entered obviously entered all their competitions and then found the previous winners had done cd sets all this information about how to deliver great presentations and i became a geek For years about how to deliver presentations I created giant mind maps I learned how to do it and then people going oh actually you're quite good at this I was like well I've been practicing I've been learning you're so
2: lucky Alan that you're so good at this they actually said
3: that um, quite a few people have said that is they look at me now and go you're confident you're so lucky you were born confident and born a good speaker like I was not born, this is developed, this is chiseled, this is made. I was not like this at all. And then uh, I started giving workshops on how to deliver presentations and actually teaching other people to do it accelerated my learning and my ability. Um, and then, like, I'm just, I was, I probably still am your world's biggest presentation skills geek. Like, I've developed some skills I know pretty much I haven't read yet.
0: That's great. I've got good at it. Uh, <laughs> so w- when did you start Toastmasters?
3: I think it was oh eight. Okay. Yeah, I got fired... Late 07, not ideal timing, just before the uh, financial crisis, and then set up my business in 08, at the height of the financial crisis, which was perfect timing, uh, and had a few years of struggle learning how to build a business and learning these skills, but actually in hindsight, the struggling to get business meant I read all the books, studied all the CD sets, I got super geeky and uh, I did notice your bookshelf in the background. Um, you've got some fantastic books over there. And yeah, that desire to learn and the time to learn, that really helped. And then I started going, OK, I've learned some stuff. It works. I'll start teaching other people. And that that's the essence of my business. Every business I've run has been... I will self experiment and learn what works and doesn't. And then I will teach other people about my experiences about what works and what doesn't. And that's what I've done for the last nearly two decades.
0: Wow. And I think Carl's about to ask something, but a a plug for Toastmasters. If that's the advice that I would have given myself, like when I was 16, if I just would have done that, like things would have been so much different. I joined right at the beginning of the pandemic so right before everything shut down so i made it to a couple in-person meetings i was about to start speaking at some conferences so i knew i needed some practice and to learn and then the in-person meetings went away now i'm fine talking to a camera i can do that all day but i need to stand in front of people and get nervous and all that but plug for toastmasters if people haven't joined like do that it'll change your life
3: the number one thing people get out of it is confidence Uh, And you will learn speaking skills and other skills and leadership skills, but the number one thing is confidence. It is a phenomenal organisation. We both went for years. Yeah,
2: you meet some wonderful people as well. A lot of our friends we made through Toastmasters because it attracts the like-minded people that want to learn and improve themselves.
3: It was also a a strange way of meeting people when we go travelling because there's pretty much a Toastmasters club in every city. So we would find the local Toastmasters club and just go along and you would meet a bunch of people, like we went to one in Austin at an IHOP at 6 a.m. And uh, you'd do the Toastmasters meeting in the morning and then all have pancakes together afterwards. It was like, that's my dream Toastmasters meeting. That's fun.
1: So my follow-up question for you, Alan, is I, I think I I definitely agree with you that doing it, joining Toastmasters is definitely the best way to get better at public speaking. But I'm curious, you've studied a lot of the mechanics of public speaking. And we've talked a little bit about comedy and how to do a PowerPoint. If the readers wanted to take up public speaking, is there an online resource or a book to learn the mechanics of it? Like how to structure a speech, maybe how to be entertaining your body language, how to do a good PowerPoint.
3: Okay. Toastmasters is phenomenal for most of it, but it's also a great place to practice the skills you learn from books And I would be getting some of the books and then applying to it. So for PowerPoint, one of the ones I would learn is Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds. It's a phenomenal book on how to create great-looking PowerPoints. Uh, Carl was telling me about some of the podcast movement PowerPoints and how bad they were. Um, Like If we could get them all to read Presentation Zen... Uh, or come on one of my PowerPoint courses. We could fix that stuff so easily. You don't have to bore people. It can be an amazing tool.
2: You could self-plug at this point. Didn't self-plug. That, that sounds wrong. <laughs> I'd
3: not do that. Yeah, do that under the, the table.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> the, uh, where would you do it? <laughs> anyway... Didn't you record yourself doing the presentation skills course and isn't it available I haven't on YouTube? released it yet. Oh, well, forget I said that
3: then. Okay, I will put it out. Right. I need to do it. We recorded it. Because I've been doing presentation skills courses for 10 or 12 years and repeating myself ad infinitum the same stuff. And we hit financial independence and I was like, I'm done running these courses. So we just filmed the last one I ever did uh, as a... Okay, I'm not going to run them anymore, but I'm going to make it available online and then I don't have to repeat myself. Um, we'll release
2: that. I'll put it on the to-do list. Okay, can you write it down for me?
3: <laughs> um, and then one final bit, a guy that is really good, his name's Craig Valentine, or as we would say, Craig Valentine. And uh, if you t- search his n- name and 52 speaking tips he has a free thing where he will email you a different speaking tip once a week and he is phenomenal he is excellent he's one of the ex world champions of public speaking craig valentine the 1999 world champion of public speaking oh my goodness is
1: that a texas boy i don't know that's my best
3: american accent okay. that's a little so bit embarrassing i, I, I
1: have Passed to give a, talk a <laughs> so so i have to give a talk this weekend is there can i persuade him to send me all 52 like in the next hour or so <laughs> uh
3: if you want to you can actually break the code because the first email has ah. the hyperlink that says like week one so mm. you just type week two week three because if you're a geek like me you can't wait each week to learn them you want to read them all at once and study everything so i just broke the code and then okay access the page so yes
1: Okay, it's probably
2: You're 90. a sneaky sausage, well, aren't you? You have
1: to learn those things, <laughs> don't you? A, a sneaky sausage? Is that what you... A sneaky sausage. Yeah. Really? Is that a, a UK like uh, slang term? or no. a, Or is that something you just made up? Okay.
3: It does sound slightly disturbing.
2: <laughs> I think allit- alliteration always helps when you're insulting someone.
1: Uh, alliteration is oh, yeah. good. I have one follow-up for you, Katie. And I didn't know you were a public speaker and then I'm following, I don't know how I found out about all this, found out about all this. I was following you on social media or, or I read Alan's blog, but you had went to Africa and I know that one of your goals there was to play the highest soccer game ever. Football, football to the our UK audience. Soccer. Um, anyway, but then you gave a talk there as well, right? And I didn't know you were a public speaker well, until then.
2: That was two different trips. So I did climb Kilimanjaro and, was part of the team that broke the world record for the highest altitude football slash soccer match ever played, which was a very hard, intense experience. <laughs> People ask if I, if I go camping or if I like camping and the two times I've camped in my life, one was when we climbed Kilimanjaro and one was when I did Ragby, the bike ride across Iowa. So both were in some very intense physical conditions where i had been active all day. Um, So the answer is no, I do not like camping based on those experiences. (laughs) I think there's more chilled out ways to camp. Um, But the other time was we did a Rebel Business School event in Namibia and it was focused on women. So they asked me to do a keynote speech and I racked my brains of what to talk about. I was like, what am I going to talk about? What value do I have to offer these people? Um, So I decided to talk about identity and being careful of the labels that... You give yourself or you accept from other people.
3: Yeah, which you kind of tie back to introverted, extroverted. They are labels, and quite often labels like that trap you into one way of behaving. And I hate labels I hate labels and society will assign you labels based on your gender, based on your height, based on your career. And they'll go, oh, you're that type of person. There's a desire to put you in a box and understand you, uh, but it can be very destructive because then you are that type of person and you will forever behave that way. So labels can be very damaging to your ability to change, grow and develop over
0: the years. That is a great point. And it, it sounds like Carl and I have... We've overcome the labels that we put on ourselves. And I think we're a little bit more comfortable just hanging out in smaller groups. But like we know when we need to stop that and then do the other stuff. That's a great point. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, people can trap themselves and say, I'm just an introvert. I'm not going to try. Like that's just the way I am.
2: Use it as an excuse. Well, it's
0: interesting.
3: We run these Chautauqua events And they attract people who are financially astute, very smart. And it's incredible how many turn up and go, I'm an introvert, and then spend the entire week chatting to people, being in groups. And my belief is it's not actually that you're introvert or extrovert. You just haven't found the right group of people that understands you and connects with you because I can be a massive introvert if I'm around the wrong people and I can be an extrovert if I'm around the right people and I think it has such an impact I remember going to a government conference once imagine a giant grey concrete building with a bunch of people in grey suits with very grey energy and I got there in my jeans and my polo shirt and I just immediately felt like I didn't fit in struggled to talk to people felt on the edge and I couldn't connect. I tried. I actually remember going outside to my business, ringing my business partner, Simon, and saying, "Um, I can't do this. Can I leave? He's like, of course you can. (laughs) I needed permission to go because I was trying to force myself. It was a way to get business, to build my business. But I just didn't connect with that group and then when you come to a Chautauqua and you meet like minded people who are kind, considerate they have the similar values about finance and education and learning and you just like you could talk for days without stopping and it's really fascinating I think quite often it's the people you talk to, not just who you are cool (laughs) Stunned silence. <laughs> it was <laughs> profound. Stunned yeah.
0: silence. Do You want to move on to the next section here. Do yeah. You have any more questions?
1: Um, I don't think so. Yeah, let's talk about Rebel Business School. How did what? How did you form Rebel Business School? What did this? Uh, what did you start it? And what was your inspiration? And what is it too? What is
3: it? What is it? Um, well, I think the inspiration came from me trying to start my own business and I went to the British government for support starting a business and they gave me three workshops. How to write a business plan, super exciting. Uh, finance, uh, which is a code word for debt. Where can you borrow the money to start your business and how much money do you need? And marketing. And they did more to put me off starting my business than they did to actually help me. And I was lost for some time after that. This was when I was launching my training business. And eventually, I figured out how to make my own money, how to build a business. Um, And then I started to go on a bit of a mission to say, well, you don't need to write a business plan. You don't need a loan. Everyone tells you, you do. You must write a business plan and you must get a loan. And the number one provider of business advice around the world, do you know who that is? Banks. 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 Uh, and, well, it's in their interest that you borrow money because you will pay them interest, and that's how they make money. So, of course, they're going to recommend writing business plans and loans and all of that stuff. So I started going round telling people they didn't need it um, and then, yeah, designed this course, Rebel Business School, to teach people how to build a business with no debt and how to make money doing something they love. Um, we sold the first one. It went incredibly well and... Now it's a global movement in five languages, seven countries, and thousands of people being trained a year.
0: Wow. And what year was that when you started?
3: 2012. So okay, it's been going about nine years.
0: Wow. Amazing. And how did, did you have that specific vision at the beginning or how has it changed over time?
3: No, I just wanted to help someone. No, I had no vision of this. Actually, I actively didn't
0: want to build a big
3: business because I didn't want to manage a team and staff and I didn't want any of that. I just wanted to help people. And the pain that those courses caused me, like being lost, I am allergic to debt. I do not want debt. I do not want anything to do with it. So when they told me I had to borrow money, I don't want to and then you're lost because I want to build a business I want the goal they're telling me the only way to do it is to do this I don't want to do that and then it creates a huge amount of like friction and pain in your life and I didn't want to I didn't want to do it and yeah that friction and that pain made me want to help other people so I didn't have any vision I just went out to do cool shit that was basically my business partner, Simon and I were like, let's do cool shit. Let's help people. Let's create events. Let's do cool shit around the world. And it started to grow. Um And we had to figure out how to make money because at that time we had mortgages. and We needed food. You have to buy stuff. So we had to make money. So we couldn't just do cool stuff. We had to make money whilst doing cool stuff. And that was the kind of essence of this. And I think. People often think that work and business is something to be endured rather than something to find something you truly love and you can make money whilst you're having fun.
1: Yeah. So this brings up another Ecuador story. When you were talking about the Rebel Business School when we were down in Ecuador and I was kind of suspicious of it because you said it was free. I'm like, how much do you charge (laughs) attendees? You're like, nothing. I'm like, in America, nothing's free. There's always, okay, it's free, but wait. And then there's some... Sales pitch. Yeah, yeah, there's some upsell. I'm I'm like, Well, how do you you must ask for money at the end, right? Or you must do something. You're like, No, it's free. And then I and I'm like, Wow, that's that's pretty cool. And you came to Longmont and I remember talking about it with Pete. How are we going to, to fund this? Like, what are we going to do? And Pete was like, Oh, maybe we could ask for a donation at the end or something like that. And you were so resistant to all that. Like so I hated it. Yeah, I really admired how I really admire how pure the mission is. We are never going to take a cent from anything. You don't even ask Clark. Like if I had if I went to that, if I went to Rebel Business School and I created a successful business, I would probably want to donate, give back to you. But as far as I've seen, you never solicit any money from everyone. So basically, you pay for this with sponsors or with you're sponsored by the UK government, their equivalent of public assistance, correct?
3: Yeah, it's different in different places. Um, so in the UK, it's housing associations, or you'd call them housing authorities uh, in the States. You get corporate sponsors. So we've been sponsored by Microsoft and construction companies and all sorts of different people. And then you get local government as well. Uh, In the States, we've been sponsored by business, corporate sponsors. We've been sponsored by universities. We did one with Indianapolis University um, in Morocco. It's the wealthiest man in Morocco. Uh, He's running for president, and one of his pledges was to start 1,000 new businesses, and he took our methodology to do it. In France, it's through a university Like, it's different all over the world in different countries.
1: Yeah. But the point is you never solicit money from the attendees, which I think is awesome. There's never any of that. Um, Speaking of attendees, I'd like to hear some success stories. I know last time you gave the Rebel Business School here in Longmont, you brought a book which detailed, uh, maybe Katie did this with numbers and stuff like that. (laughs) But can you tell us about some success stories that have come out of Rebel Business School?
3: Well, you've just done another study, haven't you? Been working on the numbers for the five-year Barnet Report.
2: Oh, yes, I have. Uh, I forget what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> Alan's like, look at me, like, tell the story about that. I'm like, ah, oh, that feels a while ago now. Um, you speak now, please.
3: Okay, so uh, we have been studying, because one of the questions is, does your methodology actually work? You know, does it actually help people to start businesses? So we've just completed a five-year study. So we've run five years worth of events. Then you go back five years later and ask the businesses, are you still running? Did you make any money? What happened? Um, And the overwhelming answer is they're still running. It's still happening. The businesses are still going. And you've got everything from fitness youtube channels to escape rooms to there was a a business on the isle of Wight that did sausage rolls that's a very british thing a sausage roll i don't know if you have that in america
0: are they called pigs in a blanket that's what i'm thinking of Maybe. but uh, it's a
2: sausage in filo pastry is it filo pastry
3: we're kind of like a fluffy pastry with a british sausage which again is very different to an american hot dog it's actually made
1: of meat <laughs> i'm kind but of it, hungry it sounds good yeah yeah do you have any here right now i <laughs>
3: They were like my favorite breakfast item. Um, But it's interesting, yeah, that every business around there has been generated out of what do you enjoy doing and what does the world need more of? And obviously sausage rolls was one of the answers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so true, yeah. And I guess for... This may take us too far down somewhere else, but you mentioned an example of some of the businesses. Like, can you describe the sort of like prototypical business that might come out like maybe number of employees or is it really just based on like what someone wants to do and their passions and what the world needs more of
3: well this is the challenge everywhere we go we're asking people to sponsor these events so we can give it away to the community they go what's it going to create what businesses are you going to launch and My answer to that is it's very difficult to say because the number one question we ask people is what excites you? And then let's build a business around what excites you, because if you're not excited about what you're doing, you're not going to want to get out of bed to put the energy into it, to go through the hardships to build this business. And you can build a business doing anything. Why would you ever pick something you don't enjoy? Like That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, So the first question is, what do you enjoy? And if you ask people what they enjoy, you get a bunch of random answers. Like you get some strange things. But the fascinating thing is with today's marketplace with online tools, you can find an audience for pretty much anything. Um And I always remember we had one lady, we said, what excites you? And she said, I feel a bit embarrassed about this, but I love a clean kitchen. Like once I've cleaned a kitchen and it's sparkling, nothing is better than that. Um And she loved cleaning. And my thought was, well, I know a lot of people who hate cleaning. This is the perfect business. Uh, it's not unique. It's not particularly differentiated, but she was passionate about it. And she built a wonderful business. Uh, She was unemployed at the time, and she built a great business doing that. And it doesn't have to be unique. It doesn't have to be different. It's just what do you enjoy doing, and let's help you make cash doing something you love. Sell it.
1: Yeah,
0: very cool. I was relying on Carl to have the next question all (laughs) queued up, but no, no, we are. Cut out
3: the weird, awkward pauses afterwards in post.
0: We sometimes do, but we probably won't do this one since I it on Carl. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm pretty awkward to begin with, so it's all natural. One thing I remember, I think it was the second time you came up and did the Rebel Business School in Longmont, there was a lady there who was doing something with, uh, I don't remember the the specifics of what she was doing. It was something to do with uh, veterinary medicine. Mm. And she was like, you know, my next step is to contact this person. And, and he, Alan's like, how about you do it right now? She's like, no, no. She I, looked
3: I, like a deer in the I headlights, can't do it. didn't she? It was
1: like, <gasps> And Alan's like, no, let's do this right now. And I remember a couple hours later, I don't remember the specifics, if it was a phone call or email, but she was smiling. And she's like, I did it. And I got a positive response. She got the meeting.
3: She got the thing. And yeah, like, I think what you're talking about is people like to think about this stuff for years. (laughs) Like I should do this. I know what I need to do, but they think about it and they don't take action. And then I come along and go, should we just do it?
1: Yeah. And they look so panicked.
3: Yeah. Do it. So scared
1: right now that not when you get home tonight, we're going to do it now.
3: Yes. Well, also if you leave it until when you get home, you've got an opportunity to talk yourself out of it. And I am, I am very good at talking myself out of doing things. I don't know if you've had this but if you like you, say you're at an event and there's people all around you and you go i should go and speak to that person if i don't do it immediately what happens what happens in your head if you don't go over and talk to them immediately
1: yeah you never will the other thing i wanted to mention i remember i did have a thought dog when you were looking when we were staring into each other's eyes <laughs> awkwardly Remantably on the
3: podcast i, I
1: just learned yeah, yeah. i don't know about the romantic part at least for myself dog I- <laughs> Uh, wow. you're a very handsome individual dog but uh, but our, our chemistry is strictly platonic in the podcast. <laughs> anyway
3: on that I'm side glad you clarified that because after <laughs> listening to 10 or so episodes of this show i was wondering
1: doug and i are sitting next to each other for the first time oh um, yeah is it that-
0: a new fragrance <laughs> smells very nice I,
1: I did switch deodorant i'm, I'm glad you like it dog I- Okay, okay. Well, let's get back on track. But I learned yesterday, Alan, that you actually have a physical space now for Rebel Business School, which you never had before. So before, the structure was you would just travel from town to town, and I'm not even sure where you would do it. But now you actually have a physical location, which is pretty cool and and pretty epic. Can you talk about that a little bit? What is this going to – what are you going to do there? Are you actually going to – is that just your central HQ, or are you going to host seminars there as well? Schools? No, we're going to
3: host events there. and I mean, the original idea of this was to set up a permanent business school to help people. But then we realized that costs a lot of money. Like, you We didn't, at the time, see a way of being able to get a building and get the space and get all the money to set it up. So we set up, we called it at the time, Pop-Up Business School. And then we didn't need to get a building because we just would randomly pop up in shopping malls, different people's spaces. The HQ that you own with Mr Money Mustache, we'd just come and pop up and run a two-week event, and it was amazing. We did that for many years. But I kept talking about, eventually, one day... Maybe we'll have a space. And one of our biggest clients is Westminster City Council in London. And they said, oh, we've got a building we don't know what to do with. Um, So we've struck a deal. We've got the, I think it's like a, a sliding thing. So the first year we don't pay any rent. Second year we pay 50% and then it goes up from there. And yeah, they've given us a building to create a permanent business school in London And we're going to run events out of there. We're going to run the business school stuff. There'll be co-working space. Um, It'll be the HQ. We'll produce the content out of there. And yeah, that was when we had to change name because you can't really be pop-up business school when you have a permanent building. We're not popping up anymore.
0: Got it. That's amazing. Congrats.
3: Thank you very much. So it's kind of changed from the early days of just me and Simon turning up in some kind of abandoned building and running an event, <laughs> eating a few curries in the evening, to, uh yeah, having permanent spaces and teams of people and all sorts of stuff. And that was why we were down in Colombia, was helping the Colombian pop-up business school, Rebel Business School launch. Um, so it's in Spanish now. And, yeah, it's completely changed. But I think to everyone listening to this, quite often we look at where people have got to. And then we think, how do we ever get there? Well, you've just got to start. I don't care what it is, what idea you've got, what you've wanted to do, just take the first step. like Run the first half-day workshop, make the first phone call, sell the first email, send the first email and sell the first course. And that's how you start these things. But people look at like these big finished businesses and think, how will I ever get there? You won't, unless you do the tiny thing to start with. And that's what puts people off, is the starting. That's what I've worked to get good at. So what do you both want to start?
0: I think, well, I was going to say the podcast, and then we need to pause and not start too many other things we we stay a little busy occasionally so
3: carl's trying to be retired
0: yeah so i have
1: a cartoon i've been trying to start for like three years now and i actually have the domain reserved and some stuff up there but uh yeah not enough time but yeah a professional podcast would be a good idea doug maybe we could actually do that someday like a (laughs) a,
0: a really good one once we get a producer, I think that's the only thing holding us back.
3: Are you going to have a producer and an editor and? A-
0: yeah, we're we are working on it. We technically have an editor, and we don't we don't use that for every single episode, but that helps clean things up a little bit. And then, um, actually, one of our previous guests, uh, Carla, is helping out with some of the producing and some of the other like organizational stuff. So then, then we'll really be able to make this pop, you know.
1: Yeah, if, if out of our 10 listeners, if there's anyone out there who wants to help us, uh what's our email address? Doug at
0: com. Yep. Yeah, you can get in touch with us. So. I love
3: that you gave Doug's email. What's our <laughs> email address, Doug?
0: <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: Or Carl at milehi-fi. See, people spell Carl with a K, and then I don't know if it'll even get to us at that point. It might just disappear into the ether and it... It'll be like Tim Ferriss sending us an email wanting to help out, but spelling my name with a K. And, <laughs> and, and poof, we could have been like 10 million, and then we'll be zero instead, just because of that. So, Doug, D-O-U-G. Yep.
0: That, that'll, that'll work. That'll work. Hi, Tim. <laughs> okay. So, I, I was going to say, what you're describing for Rebel Business School in the building, that sounds a lot like work and a, and a job a little bit. So I think we'll start moving into the fire area and we'll come back to, is this, you know, a job that you're creating for yourself there? But how did you discover fire and what was the, I guess, initial introduction?
2: Well, as we said earlier, Alan was a self-development junkie for since he was 21 and always still, still sorry, still, still is. I've not still passed our- yet. I've not passed yet, even though you're middle aged. Um, and I thought this was very strange. I came from a very traditional background, very scientific. My mom's a chemistry teacher. My dad did a chemistry PhD and very scientific, very like, this is the way that you learn things through school, through university. So I was like, "What are these funny books that you're talking to me about?" And like, you can learn anything from a book. And <laughs> well, I know you can learn anything from a book, but only like a textbook that has been rigorously, scientifically <laughs> proven. So for many years, Alan was like, "This is amazing, and you can like retrain your brain to think in different ways." And I'm like, mm, "No, this doesn't sound right," and I was maybe a little bit resistant a little to bit these resistant things
3: for maybe. Ten years.
2: Whoops. And (laughs) (laughs) um, Alan was and is a big fan of Tony Robbins, talked about the book that you got that set you on this path. And Tony Robbins wrote a book in 2014 called Money Master the Game. Do not read this book. Do not read it. Avoid it at all costs. It's a volume of 900 pages. It's very complicated he kind of gets to index investing as the outcome of and the advice of the book but takes a very long meandering path to get there um and we we bought two copies of that book we didn't bought we? two copies we, we did a
3: donegan book club where we would meet each week in starbucks and translate this american book into english
2: <laughs> yeah because it's got all the he had specific things that you should buy and it's like well we don't have that in the UK like we have an equivalent but what does he mean by this and how do we implement that in our own lives um so we kind of had an initial plan from that book that was the first time where we learned about how much you might actually need to retire he had different levels he had kind of Um, cover your basic needs halfway to your current lifestyle and then your current lifestyle. And then he had kind of the equivalent of fat-fi, didn't he? But he called it something different like financial abundance or something equally Tony Robbins-esque kind of wording. Um, So we kind of had an initial plan from that and were confused as to how to implement this stuff. And
3: We started talking to friends about it. Uh, And then our friend Matt sent us an email going... If you like that stuff, you should read Mr. Money Mustache and The Escape Artist. And he sent us the links, didn't he?
2: Yeah, and I clicked through on this link and I was like, what is this? This is very interesting. Uh, And devoured all of Pete's blog and just read every single article. And before reading his stuff, I had this bit of a mental block about financial independence and why am i allowed to do this this is weird this is not my traditional scientific path that i've been set on and um, must work for 45 years yeah, retire like, and then die my friends are going to judge me and of course that was me just projecting my own stuff onto them and why should i be allowed to do this and then you read Pete's stuff and it's like wow i'd be a fucking idiot if i didn't that's the kind of (laughs) yeah that's my my one takeaway from reading his yeah put yourself in
3: the face if you don't want to do (laughs) this
2: and then yeah then i was fully on board and
3: yeah then pete said about the chautauqua and we looked up the list of speakers and we're like who is this jl dude who is that? Weird. Um, so we bought his book, read his book. We did our homework. We didn't want to give any of the speakers an easy ride. It's like we will turn up having done our homework and we can get to the good stuff.
2: Yeah, because we weren't tracking our expenses at that stage and we're like, they're all going to tell us that we need to track our expenses. So we're like, okay, we'll start now. And it was maybe a year before the event. So, yeah, so we, we had all the data. The year in preparation. And you made a PowerPoint, didn't you, to explain? Yeah, <laughs> I think used- they
3: thought it was very weird because I turned up with like, here's a PowerPoint with our presentation of our finance this is the percentage of where our money lies this is our expenses like I'd done my homework and I was not giving anyone an easy ride it's like help me get Defy
2: we used our collective skills didn't we 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 did, I do PowerPoint,
3: Katie does Excel
2: together it's a beautiful Microsoft baby (laughs) Oh, you look very concerned. (laughs) You look very concerned.
1: Yeah, there's uh, a bunch of weird images going on in my head from this talk. (laughs) First, Alan popping out of the womb, giving his first talk, and now the Microsoft baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Was there a specific post on Mr. Money Mustache that resonated with you, Katie?
2: Nothing comes to mind. It was more that basically I spent months with Pete virtually because I was reading all his stuff, so I was in that mindset and starting to think, the way that he thinks about money, about life, about what is a happy life. So it was more the immersion in that world that changed my mindset rather than one particular aha moment. Do you remember me having any particular points?
3: No, you just would come home and tell me about the blog each night whilst you've read it on the train on the way home from work and it was a culmination and I think Quite often we're looking for that snap point. What's the one article that will change everything? And sometimes it's just keep going, just keep reading, read everything. And that sticks in your head and eventually your mindset changed.
2: Yeah, yes. And then implement. And then
3: implement. <laughs> we got very good at implementing.
2: We would spend hours and hours walking around our hometown, Stoke, figuring discussing. out what should we do? How are we going to do this? Uh, should should we change jobs? What should we do? How can we accelerate getting to financial independence? Because once we discovered it, we figured that we could do it in about three to five years because we'd already had all the habits. We'd dealt we dealt with
3: fairly frugal.
2: We were very frugal. We dealt with a lot of the bullshit beliefs that can stop you, like oh, I don't deserve to be rich. I don't deserve this. This is weird.
3: And we'd already been on money courses, different types um yeah have you two done any money courses
0: no i don't think no i don't think i have um we were roughly the same time frame like in 2014 is that what you, when you said that you kind of started looking closer 15, we read yeah
2: 14 we 15. read tony's book in late 2014 yep. yeah and then so sort of 2015 was the big like make it happen yeah.
0: Okay, and I was going to say we're roughly in the same time frame where we started looking a little closer. We fired our advisors. I think we read just a couple of Pete's blogs, blog posts, and then kind of just went on that path of implementing. And then, like you said, you, we kind of were frugal ish, and then we're saving pretty well from our early twenties, so we were in in pretty decent shape too.
2: Yeah, we we was really good savers we just didn't know what and why what do you and do with how, it? like so we were aggressively paying our mortgage down weren't we rather than investing paying the
3: mortgage down and saving for investment properties because i was scared of stocks and shares i would not invest in stocks and shares
1: oh so i have two follow-up questions for you different people like fire for different reasons for me initially at least it was financial security but i know everyone's got their own aspect of fire that they appreciate so i'd be curious to know what yours was uh, number two how did you overcome your fear of stocks because th- that's a big thing a lot of people you always hear this it's i'm gambling when i when i play with stocks and you're not gambling if you well you are gambling if you play with them for the short term but if you hold them for the long term not so much so
2: i've forgotten the first question <laughs>
1: what, what, what what appealed to you about what fire
2: you? what uh, i i used to work as an actuary and it was okay. I didn't love it. There were days I'd come home and be like, this was amazing. And I got to play with this one spreadsheet all day and it was wonderful. (laughs) There'd be other days where I'd come home in tears. Like this was horrific, but most days were somewhere in between. And I worked with really nice people, but it was like, it was okay. Um, So the thought of not having to do that every day was very appealing and the freedom and the, I could do whatever I want with my time and we could, do anything that that was the excitement for me. What about you?
3: I had very strong away from motivation because my family f- was so messed up financially. Like, I'd spent 10 years trying to fight to keep the family home because of my dad's debt. So, I had huge away from motivation. I do not want my finances to be as messed up as my family. And then I had towards motivation of this would be cool, we can travel the world. Like. I don't have to work every day if I don't want to. I can do cool stuff. I don't even have to make money if I don't want to. I can like go and help people just because I want to. Um and it just excited me so I was I was like this is incredible. Like why would you not want to do this? And then the stocks and shares bit. My dad had persuaded me when I was 21 uh to invest my life savings which was seven and a half grand, so about $10,000, which was huge. Like back then, I, that was everything I had. And he uh, persuaded me to invest it in a high-tech, high-growth managed fund with high fees right before the dot-com bubble. My seven and a half grand went to uh, 1200 almost overnight. Uh, and even though I held... The advisors within it were trading in and out, left and right, and it never recovered. It got up to 1400 in the next six years. Uh, And then eventually I sold it to be able to go and travel to Costa Rica and do a volunteer project, which is where I met Katie. But that experience of losing all my money, I was like, I'm never doing that again. If I'd have just bought a house instead, if I'd have just used that seven grand as a house deposit, it was enough for a house deposit back then, uh, I would be set. And I was completely scared of ever doing it again. Then I read Tony Robbins. Then I read J.L. Collins. And then when it really struck was when we got to Ecuador and I saw J.L. Collins speak. And he has such a calm presence. He has a wonderful voice. He's so collected, data-driven, smart. And he just said, you just... Like if, like Carl said, if you're investing for the long term, there's very little risk if you do index investing. And he said, here's what you did wrong last time. Index investing versus actively managed. You actively managed. We do index investing. They won't trade in and out and it'll bounce back. You did high growth and targeted that stock picking. Don't do that. That's dumb. Do it this way. And I could just see the errors in that original way of doing it which gave me enough confidence to go well okay if i know what i did wrong then i might be able to avoid doing it in the future let's have a go and we started tentatively and then when we met jl collins at chautauqua it was like okay we're all in we put everything in index funds everything instantly and uh, we've never looked back and now we're trying to get rid of all our property and get rid of everything else and just go index funds. Our, ori- so,
2: our original plan was to do it all through real estate.
3: Yeah, because I was scared of stocks and shares. So we would buy.
2: We bought two rental units that we still have and that we're now trying to get rid of because. If anyone wants them. If yeah. you listen to this and want rental <laughs> units in <laughs> please buy them. Um, now that we're nomadic. It's a bit of a pain having three properties in Basingstoke that we have to maintain because we've got the two that we bought as investments and then the one that we used to live in. Um, and they're all in the same building, which was very handy when we lived in that building and you could just walk down the corridor if s- our tenant had a problem. But now we're thousands of miles away and it's not so when convenient.
3: The breaks, it's never nice.
2: <laughs> At least <laughs> we can't smell nice. it from here. <laughs> yeah.
3: Are you index investors?
0: Yep. Yeah. So we, once we realized we needed to fire our advisors, yeah, we pretty much went the index route. I think we, my wife and I have separate accounts, so we do things slightly differently, but uh, I think largely we're doing pretty close to the same thing. It's more like the amount we have in bonds versus stocks. So I'm a little more aggressive. She's a little more conservative.
3: Are you, are you both at your fine number?
0: Yes, it's a continually moving target as we like look at, I mean, I'm still working. My wife has a full-time job as well. So technically, yes. And then we're thinking, oh, well, what if we could spend a little bit more? And of course, the math gets really murky if I think, well, I'm going to keep doing a a podcast and some other things that are pretty casual for me and earn uh, pretty much enough to cover our expenses. Well, then it makes it really easy to you know make the math work and the cash flow and everything so so you have
3: bonds even though you're still earning yes interesting
0: so you, you would go full um stocks we are okay
3: apart from the properties which we're trying to get rid of sure. to go full stocks we are completely stocks yeah carl what percentage are you do you have bonds
1: um, no, we have zero bonds. And it's funny, someone just sent me an email on the blog because I put our portfolio on there and we've got like 5000 in cash. And this person is like, is that all you have in cash? I'm like, yep, and it's more than I would like. Any dollar <laughs> sitting there in cash is losing money and wasting away. So, But the struggle I have is I didn't know what an index fund was until I discovered this whole financial independence movement. Before that, I would buy individual stocks and I got very lucky with them. I bought Google when an IPO, and we bought Amazon, and Facebook, and Tesla in 2012, which has been the best one. But the problem with this is I spend a lot of mental bandwidth thinking about these. And I wouldn't have to if I had an index fund, because eventually all these stocks I own will probably go bankrupt. You look at the original, like Dow, the original components of the Dow, and I think all but like one or two of those one. companies are gone. Yeah, yeah one left. And I think it might be GE. Um, but didn't they drop out? Oh, yeah, they probably did. So I don't know what it is, Johnson & Johnson. But anyway, there's a point when most of these stocks I own will be gone and, and they're tech stocks and they're high growth. And with high growth comes –
3: high volatility.
1: Yeah, and uh, disruption. Uh, those stocks are – those companies are more likely to be disrupted. So uh, I could say, oh, Tesla's a 100-bagger now. It's done great. It's spectacular. But at some point in the future, that company will probably be bankrupt. It might be in 10 years from now. It might be in 50 years from now. So, so I d- when are you going to sell them and go all in on indexes? You could stuff?
2: just gift them to me if they're too much.
1: <laughs> you know, Katie, that thought never, ever, ever crossed my mind. <laughs> and it probably never will again. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I think when when Mindy leaves work, we'd probably start selling them. Right now, we'd be hit with pretty high capital gains. Mm-hmm. And and so what people say to me after I say that is, well, your capital gains will be great if the stock goes to zero, so you should sell them now. But it's a it's a struggle if you all have any advice. I have cut back on some of them. We used to have more Facebook shares, and I got rid of a, a bunch of those. But it's a, it's a struggle. I think we've got over a million dollars in gains from these stocks now. So if we were to sell them, we'd just be hit with a Massive tax set, but
3: do you it, have a capital gains allowance per year?
1: Yes, it is. You don't pay capital gains until you hit eighty thousand. And there's a deduction, so you actually have to make a lot more than eighty thousand to hit that. So why didn't you just start selling
3: that much every year to start playing it down?
1: Well, we're fortunate in that Mindy has a job and still does real estate deals, so we still have income, so we are over that number, even though I don't work and Mindy does not work mm-hmm. that much.
3: So you're waiting for her to finish, and then you can use that allowance each year and start to sort of switch and balance over the years.
1: That's exactly it. If she would work less, then I could sell some of my stocks.
2: Damn, Mindy. She's oh. so annoying. I don't know. Stop this. Being
1: productive.
0: This gifting idea sounds pretty good because there's some <laughs> allowance for that, right? We could have a competition got,
2: for the
3: listeners. We, uh, have, we could give away Carl's Tesla stock on air. <laughs>
0: You, is this is
1: where you're raffle? going? You, you, you want a gift, Doug, too? Is this where this is going? I think
0: so. Yeah. I mean, it just makes practical sense at this point from a tax <laughs> perspective. We need it. Uh, any accountant sender Actuary is pretty close. I mean, it's a pretty good idea. We'll talk about it later.
3: Yeah, so, can we take this off air, Carlos <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, we'll take it off air and uh, off permanent, off real life, too. Can we take it off that? Off the agenda. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's gone okay. So, w- when did you guys hit the fine number because it you know 2015 2014 wasn't that long ago?
3: I was 40, Katie was 35, so it's a good two and a half years ago now. Uh, we hit our number. Um, Katie finished about a year before that, maybe 18 months before that, and then came and helped us at the Rebel Business School. Uh, and then, yeah, was sort of the start of 2019 when we started to shift from doing full-time work to uh, having more fun and traveling and doing different things and there was definitely an interesting transition with me coming out of the business my business partner Simon becoming the CEO taking it over and yeah that was an interesting transition but yeah we hit our number about two and a half years ago and it's just kept going up ever since so the people listening to this like i think people wait too long to to get off and the type of people who will get to fight like you think you're going to get to a number where you'll never earn anything ever again like the type of people who are working on getting to financial independence you will produce income randomly by mistake (laughs) it just will happen Mm -hmm. so just like start to finish and start to go off and do other things and don't be too worried it'll be okay
0: And I want to ask about what your perfect days look like. So I I told you ahead of time that I was going to ask this, so you could think about it a little bit. And I know, you know, this may bleed into the um, digital nomad aspect, which of course probably is a little different than both of you expected it would be so yeah your, your perfect day and uh, Katie why don't you start and then Alan hopefully you'll echo something similar to what she says
2: yeah I'm interested <laughs> to find out yours is probably a bit more x-rated than mine <laughs> <laughs> my perfect day there's certain elements that I think need to be there I don't know necessarily the order that these would come in but I think something physical and something active I've just got into doing calisthenics which have you heard of that? It's like body weight training. And I've got this big goal to be able to do a pull-up by the end of the year, which I'm getting there. And with the help of Carl's house, well, Carl and what he put in his house which is like a pull-up bar in every room, basically. Uh, I'm getting there slowly. So something physical, something active, whether it's that or maybe a hike with some friends as well. Um, people need to be involved in my day. Sometimes I forget how great people are and I hide away. But <laughs> sort of conversation and the buzz and the energy that you get from chatting to people about important stuff and life and how we should live and what makes you happy. Uh and of course some graphs and some data need to be involved as well. So I love graphs. I love making pretty graphs. I'm I use Tableau, it's a data visualization software. Which I really enjoy, and I'm learning more and more. And I.
3: You've been visualising index funds. Visualising index
2: funds, funds, yeah. I go down these rabbit holes. You can see those.
3: I've published them on my blog so that Katie has somewhere to share them. But yeah, it's amazing. You can see she's done this diagram of. the global index fund which every company has a box that shows the size of the share within the index fund the countries it's in and i never really understood index funds until i saw katie's visualizations like that's ah that's what it is now i i get it i can see it i can
2: yeah, Alan said to me, "We should write blog articles about this and publish your graphs." And I'm like, What do you mean? These are just for my private, personal use. <laughs> private graphs. <gosh, gosh. laughs> Sit quietly and stroke them. Um, so I think those are the the main the main elements. Oh, and some good food, obviously. Um, I like vegetables. I know that's weird, but big pile of vegetables.
0: Wait, what kind of vegetables?
2: Ooh. Cauliflower, broccoli, carrots, courgette. Courgette. Aubergine. You're deliberately using English, British English <laughs> yeah. words there.
1: Eggplant? Aubergine Sorry.
2: is eggplant and courgette is zucchini.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Um, How about asparagus? You like asparagus?
2: I do like asparagus.
1: Does it make your pea smell?
2: It's a very personal question, Carl.
1: <laughs> I know, but we, we really want to get to the the truth in these conversations. We could talk about that <laughs> off air. Did I mention that we're having asparagus with dinner tonight? Oh, lovely.
0: <sighs> okay, so food. Food's important, something physical around people, some data, Some something to exercise your mind as well.
2: Yeah, something creative as well. And I love creating music as well. I play the piano, so expressing myself through music and playing piano as well
1: i have one comment i, I heard no mention of alan in that entire perfect oh day. he's
2: there he's <laughs> there in the background
1: uh, okay N- not at the forefront you may
2: be you may accompany me on my perfect day
1: thanks <laughs> <laughs> All would right. you
2: like to describe your perfect day and how much it revolves around me <laughs>
3: <laughs> well i think it's interesting perfect day thing is difficult, because I think, how do I fit everything I want to do into a day? And I don't I don't know if there is. Like, there's amazing days, but if I've spent all day delivering a presentation and seeing people, the next day I want to do something different. So I kind of prefer to think of it as, like, a chunk of things I would like during the week. And this year we stayed in Puerto Vallarta, which is a beachside town in Mexico, and that was very close to dream life because we could roll out of the apartment and go running along the beach. We could watch the sunset from the jacuzzi. Like, it was phenomenal. I would write blogs, create PowerPoints. Um, we would go out for breakfast as, like, my top favourite activity. Go to an incredible breakfast place, have amazing food. I like to do it like Carl does at about midday or 11 when I've done the intermittent fasting so that I don't get too fat eating all of these breakfasts, although that's been a challenge in Mexico. Um, And yeah, I just, life is a collection of experiences and I want to have more cool experiences like this, doing a podcast in your basement, Doug, Um, going for (laughs) breakfast. I want to go to Disney. I want more experiences. I want to have fun.
0: Awesome. And I think, the way you approach the answer is the right one. No, no offense, Katie, oh. but it is a block.
2: <laughs> I didn't know there was a right and a wrong answer to this. I thought this was you know express yourself. You're getting judged. I'm getting
0: fully it's judged. A getting judged. Because a k- quick <laughs> I'm, example, I'm
2: opting out now. I, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm leaving the basement. Oh, Katie.
0: It it was an okay answer. I mean, there were a lot of <laughs> Thanks. there were a lot of good things in this. That makes but me
2: feel a whole lot better.
0: The. The thing is, so last week I went on a very long hike. It was like uh, 11 miles did how it peak on last Thursday. And while I was spent, I woke up at like three to get into the park, hiked all day, very, very, you know, physically taxing. I was going to give up. And then I thought, oh, I'm, oh, I'm going to keep going, but it was a great day. And I was too tired to really do other things that I enjoy, but you can't fit everything in to every single day. I also like, you know, my routine and walking the dog and like the just the the normal beats of the day that I can count on. And when you're on vacation, which I would love to, you know, like to travel as well, you can't do all the same things because obviously you're in a new environment. And part of it is uh, being on the edge of what's comfortable and like doing the new things in whatever town or country that you're in. So that that's why your answer was was so good because you you want to fit in all those things and if you're traveling across uh, the country you're driving you know you're going to miss out on doing a big presentation and interacting and teaching people because you may be in the car but i love a
3: good road trip i love a road trip listening to a podcast so i don't want to give that up right but i can't fit all that in one day
2: doug i think your answer was terrible
3: We're now judging answers. If you're listening to this, please hold up a 10
2: card or a 1 card, depending on whether you like
0: One user. star review. One star review. So do you have any follow-ups on that?
1: Yeah, yeah I've got one small comment, and I'm curious to uh, – I'll say what I think about travel, and I think you do it the same way. One thing I've come to in my uh, retired life is that – we build our travel, not so much around places, but around people. And I was thinking about this while you were talking. But And the last trip I did was going to Oaxaca to see you all. And you all there were – you all there were – you were there for an extended amount of time. And you invited everyone down there. And it was so good. And while I've always wanted to go to Oaxaca, it was that much better because there were friends down there. Is that how you think of travel now?
2: Yes. The friends aspect is such a big part because – Whilst Alan is quite good company sometimes, I do appreciate having the buzz of being around other people and the different perspectives because he and I could talk about something many, many times and in a loop loop and come to the same conclusion and then someone else comes along and goes, have you thought about that? And we're like, what? That would never have occurred to either of us. Um, So, yeah, it definitely is. And we did... Before we found out about financial independence, we thought we were going to do mini-retirements, you know, the kind of Tim Ferriss model where you have three or six months off every so often. And we did that in 2014. And that was when we really discovered that it is about people. people. Because we drove from Texas to California, and then we had to go back to Texas. And we were going to go a different route to see new places and new things and we decided not to do that we decided to go back to the way that we'd come so that we could see the people that we'd met again and that's when we first started repeating to each other it's all about the people and it's so true
3: it's all about the people and the slow travel i think slow travel like there's this thing in travel world of i've got all these places i want to see in the tick box and i must tick them all off and that's exhausting you just end up destroyed and you might have a bunch of places that you can say I've been there, I've been there, I've been there but you won't have the experiences of seeing the people and enjoying the place and getting to know it really like going to Italy and seeing the Leaning Tower of Pisa is one thing going to Italy and living in Milan for a month is a completely different thing
1: so instead of ticking places off you want to tick people off (laughs) (laughs) you've been well and
3: truly ticked Carl. (laughs)
1: <laughs> if I could develop a piece of software right now, I think it would be like a FI travel app or maybe a location app where if you wanted to – be accepting of visitors or meet people you would just say hey i'm in portugal right now and my dot is green and your name appears above it okay that's awesome maybe i'll go to portugal and see y'all and katie while we're there and tick them off for a little while <laughs> uh, <laughs> i find this community is very mobile everyone is always all over the place i know next year we're going to be in germany austria all over the uk maybe i'll pop in at rebel business school and and then i think we'll be in peru for a while too and i've been bringing this up because i hope to meet you two at one of these places or maybe you'll be somewhere else and we'll go to where you are we'll go from peru to oaxaca wherever you happen to to be
3: i've wanted to go to peru for a long
1: time (laughs) yeah it's uh sounds a lot more fun than doug's basement (laughs) no
0: offense to your basement
1: (laughs) maybe a little i hate your
3: basement
0: yeah it's uh it makes the sound better, but it's just the ins- insulation. It's very industrial down here. It's like a warehouse. It, it was a that. Bit.
1: It was that ball gag and chains and handcuffs <laughs> in the other room that really worried me. Uh, we won't get into that. Or we'll after the podcast we'll get into it. Yeah, I thought I you guys want to work out for breakfast.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> we thought you wanted to work out. Where are we going with this?
0: Okay, so I think we'll get back on track a little bit and the digital nomad lifestyle. So. You decided you were going to do that. You got on the road. Can you take us through what happened?
2: Well, stepping back slightly, 2019, we started traveling more. So we had kind of two months in LA and then we really enjoyed it and then did another two months and we had a month in Portugal. And we realized through the power of data that we spent only a little over half of the year in our flat in the UK so we were paying twice for accommodation and like, why are we this having is... a flat
3: in the UK and Airbnbs around the world like this is ridiculous it was
2: highly inefficient highly inefficient we don't like inefficiency um, so we're like okay why don't we like sell up and do this full time which was a little bit scary and was a massive project to get rid of all our stuff
3: we had and ten years of accumulated stuff and nature abhors a vacuum, so whenever there's a spare shelf stuff will fill it. So our little flat was full of stuff we had like that was a big project to get rid of all of your stuff.
2: All of your all of my stuff. All of one's <laughs> stuff. So there's some judgment here going right. on again. So we decided to go nomadic and that journey adventure started at the beginning of twenty twenty, which was the worst timing ever. The worst timing potentially ever um because travel was difficult in 2020 well so. it was the
3: golden time of january being in thailand oh, not january. knowing what was going to happen we had a wonderful. wonderful time it was amazing then we met someone from wuhan uh her name was leanne and she came and talked to us and we made friends and she's like oh i've come from wuhan but don't worry i haven't had any symptoms like, what are you even talking about? What are you about?
2: talking about? Like, we didn't. It wasn't know. even
3: a thing until like February, March, was it? So it was before then. And then we came to the States. Um Yeah, and it was we had such a wonderful time for about two and a half months. And then we got to New Orleans three days before lockdown started. And we were trapped in an Airbnb in New Orleans. And they said it would be for three weeks. So we waited out in the New Orleans Airbnb and after about three weeks there was uh, like 10 airports flying to the UK and then eight and then six and our visa was running out in the US and we're like we do not want to get trapped here. Like, do not want to overstay your visa in America. Um, and then it was like less airports and less airports. And it felt like, you know, Indiana Jones, where he rolls under the mm-hmm. stone door that's coming right. down. It felt like that as we charged across the country to get to Atlanta, one of the only airports flying to the UK at the time. Um, and it was very scary. We made it home to England and just like hid there for a little while before we got back out to Germany and travelling and yeah, but we managed to be on the road mostly throughout the pandemic.
2: That's true. It's nearly a year since we left the UK for the second time.
3: Yeah, but in a very slow travel, like not charging around the country, spreading the virus everywhere no, in a very slow in a travel responsible way. Very responsible way.
0: Wow. That is horrible timing.
3: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: Is there anything- He's judging me again. <laughs> yeah,
3: he is. He's very judged, Katie.
0: It's, uh, sorry it's coming off that way, but <laughs> just, you're very astute uh, in picking up on what people are thinking. <laughs> uh, I'm just <laughs> So were there any, obviously, COVID f- fucked everything up in, in a lot of ways. Were there any good things that surprised you being a digital nomad because of COVID that was a little bit helpful in some capacity? Because it, it
2: meant it meant that we knew how to entertain ourselves <laughs> like we we already we used to having our own time and no structure so when a lot of people were lost and bereft and just spent all day watching netflix we had our own projects already that we knew that we wanted to work on so that definitely helped.
3: There was some COVID pricing, which was very good because there was not many people travelling, so Airbnbs were empty. We got some lovely pricing. Um, we had some fun. We did some stuff. Life was good. Um, but nomadic life in general was fabulous. And when we started back again in September in Berlin, it was just wonderful. We rented this huge Airbnb. We are in the capital city is it capital city? It is the capital city. Yes. I suddenly doubted myself when I said that, um and we found these bike rentals. You could rent a bike for eighteen euros. About was that twenty two bucks a month? Oh wow! Uh, and it's this incredible little bike. So we would cycle round. Berlin, like up the main street to the Brandenburg Gate and then ending up in some lovely cafe. There was the Vintage Bike Cafe that had incredible breakfast.
2: Oh, and, Germany. You were oh, lovely. It was wonderful.
3: It was wonderful. So, yeah, you can create an incredible life in different places. And Berlin is particularly inexpensive. And it's interesting when you go around the world and you start to realise, like, the cost of living in New York is insane. The cost of living in Bogota in Colombia is incredible and you can if not have a better lifestyle for a tenth of the price.
2: I've got a graph I can show you.
3: We have got graphs of
1: geo-arbitrage. Imagine that, Katie, you have data on geo-arbitrage. I, I never would have guessed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Do you, do you ever see yourselves settling down, or how much longer is this digital nomad thing going to go on for?
2: God,
3: you sound like my mom. How much longer are you going to be doing this? <laughs> you're you coming home. Settle
1: down, kids. you sure, got to right. make a life for yourself. How
3: much longer? You must live a life. If you don't own the house, you're not a proper person. So much judgment from the world. Um, I don't know we don't like at the moment we're enjoying it and maybe like maybe we're, I'm 42 Katie is a lot younger than me thank like you we've got many years left uh, I don't feel the need to settle down we're enjoying we like the sort of two months in a place which feels quite settled because you get to know the place you get to experience it you get to actually live it but I don't know like you can't never say never because at some stage we're not going to be wanting to lug bags around the world and whatever we might want to settle but who knows when that's a difficult question to answer and i think we just want to have fun
2: i think coming to a place like longmont where there's such a wonderful community that you yeah. can just plug into and it's like these people live this amazing life and it you've got friends new... around you've got hiking nearby and the weather's wonderful and the and it's like cheap. you can just see yourself plugging into that and just that it's moments like that and i think and i look at your lives and go oh that looks fun like, could i just could just cycle
3: that. to the hq and work each day and then cycle and hang out with carl and you could just you have a wonderful lifestyle here yeah you get tempted when you move around you're
1: like this place is cool yeah it's a good problem to have
0: katie you play the piano so how do you deal with that while you're traveling
2: um I don't oh I just when I find a the piano then I get excited and play it so Carl's got a piano at his house I've been enjoying playing that the um it's it's obviously not the best instrument for nomadic life um and I have I was gonna say I've missed it but I, it's weird I don't miss it when I don't have it it's like out of sight out of mind but then when I do have access to one i love it and i love playing i just forget that it's a part of my life and i think maybe it would be good to see that as a clue and think oh maybe i could integrate it into my life more somehow on the road
0: yeah i was gonna say some airbnbs potentially would have an instrument maybe but I yeah think you, could you figure can out.
2: filter on that now actually oh, you and can? There's a couple of times we've seen places with pianos but the rest of the place didn't look as appealing,
0: right? Can't um, yeah, have everything.
2: So yeah, uh, but that that's definitely something to consider on the road. I did uh, I did teach myself guitar when we were in LA, which is a bit more portable, but still like a bit of a hassle carrying that around on planes and through airports and stuff.
0: Yep, yeah, definitely. So Katie, you worked as a consultant, and I, I worked at Accenture for a couple years. Ah. So I. Related very much to what you were talking about and I think I was like 24 and didn't know what the fuck I was talking about and then I was interviewing people like the bobs on office space to like fire them or something like that. So I was very much out of place. So what was it like transitioning from working in that sort of environment to being retired?
2: Well, there was an intermediate step where I worked and helped out at rebel business school. Which was a complete change of environment from the corporate <laughs> world. And I was like, you can't, you can't speak like that. You can't say that. You can't swear. You can't drop C bombs left, right, and center. It was, it was just. It's like, why not? It's my
3: business. I can do what I
2: want. <laughs> um, but what I found was that I jumped straight from an a environment that actually wasn't particularly stressful when I was working as an actuary that was I put my own stress on it and then because that was how like how I was like everything was stressed like I must do this I must do that I've got to do all these things I've got to do all these things and I don't have time I'm gonna do it all now so I took that with me to rebel business school which was a very chilled environment and I was like but what about all these things that I haven't done and like stress stress stress
3: we'll get to
2: it Um, it's okay (laughs) and then take that kind of mindset into retirement where you can do whatever you want and there's no time limits the only I was about to go very morbid then the only time limit is death the end of your life which hopefully i'm not even halfway through yet because i'm clearly not middle aged <laughs> um, to take that same stress mentality to everything because that's how I was and it's like, oh but like I'll be I'll be really chilled when I quit my job because that's the source of stress in my life and that's why that's why I feel this way. Mm-mm. But that was not, it was me that was doing that. So I've been on a journey of letting go of that and not trying to achieve the world every day and just realizing that it's okay to do what you want to do and to have fun and to be happy so it's been interesting unpicking a lot of the training that I've had because I spent most of my life up to this point being competitive and trying to be significant and trying to impress other people and that's not that's I've not found that's that's not that's a sustainable to, source of
3: happiness that's
2: not a route to a happy life so I call it kind of rewiring my brain for happiness and working out what makes me happy and working out all these like bullshit beliefs and things and identity that have stopped me from being as happy as I could be. And that's been one of the big things I've been focusing on since stopping working.
3: Even when you hit your fine number, you will still be you. It's not rainbows and unicorns. Nothing changes. And that's the bit. And I think actually that's the bit that people don't get is five will not fix most of that stuff. You have to work on you.
2: I knew that intellectually. I knew that the day that I quit working, I wasn't going to be blissfully happy, but I was still surprised (laughs) when it didn't happen. It's some bullshit.
3: (laughs) We worked so hard to get here and nothing's changed. I'm still stressed. Why? And it's like, well, if you're a stressed person, you will be stressed before fight and after fight. That won't change it. And it's really interesting. You have to work on you, your own happiness. Fi just buys you the
1: time to do it. shit I've been doing it wrong this whole time. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding but I'm only half kidding. Katie and I have had conversations before and we're very similar and it's it's not easy. it's not the easiest transition because the same quality that makes us able to retire early we're, we're hardworking, we have competitive jobs. Uh, we tend to be achievement-oriented people and all of a sudden we're going to stop that and do something else. And it's, its uh, yeah, you, you got to figure yourself out. You'll figure out who you really are once you stop working. And it's great. I don't want to sound like some some privileged asshole. I'm very thankful for it all. But yeah, that the struggles are still there sometimes.
3: That's well, great. first world problems are still problems. Right? I think just because you have, like, a nice amount of money and a nice life doesn't mean you don't have real problems and it's real pain and it's real stress. They still exist and you still need to deal with them. Um, And I think minimizing sometimes the pain people go through by saying, well, that's privilege in first world. Like it still exists. You still have to deal with it. Um, And you shouldn't minimize any of the problems. They're all real problems that need dealing with.
0: Well said. All right. And I think at this point we can start winding down. And I know you have a podcast, Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. Can you tell us about it?
3: Yeah, the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. um, When we were running the Rebel Business School at the Mustachian headquarters with Carl and Pete, uh, afterwards Pete looked at me and he said, "Um, could you imagine Mr. Money Mustache? If you went room by room teaching 50 people at a time. And I had this aha moment of I'm never going to get to my mission of changing the way entrepreneurship is taught unless I put stuff out there and reach a wider range of people and help them to build businesses with no debt and make money. So the podcast was that and I did a mini experiment, did one season actually really enjoyed it it went really well it was fabulous fun so then we did season two now we've got a coaching series and like it's unbelievable we have so much fun so if anyone listening wants help building a business with no debt growing their business making money doing something they love like start with episode the five ways to build a business with no debt that would change the way you look at business forever
1: awesome yeah, and let's talk. <laughs>
3: that's my old suggestion.
1: No, I have listened to your podcast and I remember talking to you about it and I'm like, God, he must it's so good he must edit the shit out of this because he's so smooth. He's like the opposite of me on this podcast. So uh, Alan is so good and, and then I asked you about it, and you're like, Yeah, we mostly do it in one big take. Like so that's uh it speaks to the your skills. Which uh, I need to take a class from you or listen to your podcast more so I learn.
3: After 12 years of delivering live presentations, in a live presentation, you don't get edited. You don't go, you kind of get a chance to redo because you can go actually scratch that. Let me have another go. But it all has to be done live. And after 12 years of being on a stage eight hours a day, you just get used to
1: talking. Sure. And you have two episodes a week now, correct? two episodes a week
3: we've done a huge number of episodes um yeah first episode is sort of the educational stuff so we've got sort of 10 ways to market your business without debt and stories of entrepreneurship and we had the co-founder of starbucks on telling the story of how he built the furniture for the first store in his parents basement to save money and like some really good examples of how people get going and actually build businesses and then the Thursday episode, we take an entrepreneur and we help them grow their business. So the first coaching series was a photography lady, uh, Christina, and she was doing it as a side hustle. And in 12 episodes, you get to see whether she can turn it into a full-time business or not. Um, and it's quite fun seeing the real entrepreneurial journeys and the
1: real struggles. Yeah, it's neat. I was listening to an episode a couple of weeks ago and it's... I should have listened to the previous ones. It was someone who you were, it was the coaching episode and you said, okay, I asked you to do this, 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 uh, like a couple of weeks ago. How did that turn out? So it's really good. It's kind of like one of those reality TV shows, but without all the bullshit, you get to see <laughs> the success and failures and hear about them in real time. And there's a lot of value to that because you can go on there and spout all your own shit, but unless you have real world examples, uh, it's a little less valuable. So yeah, I really appreciate listening to it.
3: Yeah. And the second season was an artist, which I really wanted to tackle that belief that you can't make money as an artist. So we, yeah, we have an artist. Her name's Jamie. She's a phenomenal artist and she didn't know where to focus her energy. So we helped her decide which way to focus. And she decided to launch a Kickstarter for her first ever comic book. And you can see what happens from there.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. In. Are there any challenges like being on the road and um, recording or keeping up with the that pace of a schedule?
3: Yes, it's a nightmare, especially <laughs> in loud countries like Mexico, a random four-piece band turned up outside my house as I'm recording, it's like, <laughs> shut up! And then in Bogota, the aguacate man sells avocados, he literally walks down the street every day going, aguacate, aguacate, shut up, I'm recording! Um, so yeah, it's a pain in the, uh, and you will hear that as I record shows in Germany, Bogota, Mexico, yeah. random locations around the world. It definitely makes it more challenging than being in a creepy basement
2: in the world. We also have lots of heavy tech with us as well, don't we, that we carry around?
3: We carry around a range of speakers and cables, and uh, yeah, I definitely would like to be lighter nomadically if I wasn't doing a podcast But it's what I love doing. I love helping people.
1: You should have gotten the aguacate, the avocado man, on the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast so he could expand his (laughs) avocado sales. He's just walking around with a card and 12 weeks from now he'll have a truck with a speaker on top playing music. (laughs) You'd have had to do it in Spanish maybe, but that would have been a challenge for you. Okay, Rebel Finance School. What is the Rebel Finance School?
2: When I first discovered financial independence, I went into full-on preacher mode slash shove-it-down-people's-necks mode. I was like, this is amazing, and you have to do this, and I'm going to judge you. Why are you spending all this money on crap you don't need? You should be buying your freedom, and it's really easy. All you have to do is invest one million pounds, dollars, whatever your currency is, and then you can be free. And people are like, what are you on? This is weird. Go away. I'm not going to listen to you. You're crazy lady it didn't work um so then we realized rather than do like the shove down the throat technique why didn't we help people get their finances in order and add value rather than judgment so (laughs) uh during lockdown when we had a bit of time on our hands we decided to create a course that starts from the beginning so How much money do you have now? Do you know what your net worth is? What are you spending your money on? Where does it go? Are you in debt? How do you get out of debt? What do you believe about money? is that holding you back if you believe that rich people are evil and greedy then you don't want to be a rich person so you're going to squander all your money away
3: or it takes money to make money or the rich get richer the poor get poorer there's all these expressions that trap people from taking control of their own finances
2: so cre- we created this course that we deliver online once a week for 10 weeks and it's not until week 6 that we get on to investing after we've covered the basics of you know make sure you've got a solid foundation before you even think about investing Uh, And we've really enjoyed doing that. And we had 150 people on the first course that we did last summer. And then we just finished the second round uh, and we had 400 people on that. Um, And it's really, it's a really nice feeling to help people. And that's something we just give away for free. We do that because we want to help and we really enjoy it. And we get a buzz out of talking and interacting with all these people. And we've built a little bit of a community with our Facebook group and people helping each other. And it just feels really nice to be able to share some of our experiences that we know can help people
3: and uh we want to do the the mission for rebel business school is to change the way entrepreneurship is taught around the world because we think it's taught backwards and uh well personal finance isn't taught at all (laughs) like it's not even Mm -hmm. taught backwards it's just not covered uh so we've just started to do the same thing for that and we've actually sold the first rebel finance school course we got the agreement today so we'll be running that for south oxfordshire housing association in the uk and they're paying for the course and we're giving it away to their residents for free um and we're going to start doing the same thing for finances that we've been doing for entrepreneurship um yeah, because you just don't get taught this stuff.
0: That's awesome. Is no, the, you don't. I'm sorry.
1: Is the online school open to anyone, like UK or United yeah. States?
2: Even Americans. Even Americans world. can <laughs> learn Even this Americans. stuff. We had about 40% of our audience was American. Um, so, yeah. yeah,
3: and the courses are pretty much online at the moment because we've struggled to do them face-to-face due to the pandemic. So. Uh, and yeah.
2: we don't want to be in one place for 10 weeks. No, we don't want to <laughs> be
3: in one place for <laughs> 10 weeks.
0: <laughs> So do you do them live or are they pre-recorded? Live.
2: Live, live. yeah.
0: So why not, why not record it? And I know you have a good answer for this. So why not record it so people can get it at their leisure? They don't have to get locked into the 10-week scenario.
2: That's a very good point, Doug. I feel judged again. No, it's, uh, it is a good idea. I think we do get a buzz from doing it. You're right, though. People that find out about it. After the fact, and, you know, we got other things going on that we maybe it's going to be another year until we do it again. Um, Yes, Alan, why why are we not recording it?
3: There is a power to doing it every week on a Monday night, and I just feel like... We had this post in the Facebook group going, is it really 10 weeks? Like, I can't commit to every Monday night for 10 weeks. I'm not doing this. Uh, And lots of people who came on the first call said, just get into it, you'll enjoy it. And then this guy posted after the course saying, I can't believe how good it was like being there live every Monday night, doing the homework each week. There is a power to the engagement, the liveness and making people do the homework each week. If you're doing it as a self-paced course, you would only get the self-paced, self-motivated people who would actually finish it. Um, there is the definite thing to having a live course that helps people make progress and that's not to say we won't actually do that I'm tempted at some stage to like hire a TV studio film it properly get it online as a permanent thing you can sign up and then you get it once a week and there's the support I'm tempted to do that Um, yeah just live is fun some kind
2: of hybrid where we do a bit of both maybe
1: yeah nice yeah, that's, do you actually interact with people while you're doing the class? Or? Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> we do it as a Zoom meeting, meaning that it's is like all these people and just all the There's little boxes of their faces. Little boxes of people. <laughs> um, crazy. Whereas not There's a webinar option, which we've chosen not to do, because you can't actually interact and see people. That's broadcast as opposed to connect. Yeah, we try and make it interactive. Well, we do make it interactive.
3: And so the people ask questions, like randomly people pop up every now and again and say this, and then the actual session's 90 minutes, and then people hang out and ask questions afterwards. And it's just like a meeting and yeah we hang out for anywhere from an hour to 2 hours afterwards just answering individual questions every week and you actually get huge connection with people like you build a build this family of people who are all trying to improve their finances help each other um yeah and it it just makes it more real so we love connecting with the actual people then we also learn
1: yeah that's super cool. I, I suppose the engagement is better. If I know there's a real person on the other end, I'm probably less likely to hang up in the middle of it and go watch some stupid rerun <laughs> or some shit like that. i we'll be
3: checking <laughs> Facebook whilst listening to yeah, it like, or
1: whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool.
0: So before we wrap up and let you guys plug all the places people could find you, any parting words uh, from each of you, it can be on anything you want. Uh, Katie, I'll, I'll kick it over to you first. I was going
2: to say something really facetious like, there is no such thing as a perfect day. Think about <laughs> it in terms of the week or a longer time period.
0: Are we still talking about that? <laughs>
2: it's clearly affected me. It's clearly affected me. Um, I think that it's important to work on your happiness as much as you work on your finances as you get to fi and it's not a magic silver bullet that's going to solve all your problems and there's some work to be done on your mindset and your happiness as well as your finances as you go so don't just leave all that until later it's something to work on alongside
3: and mine would be an expression that i heard a few years ago that has just hit me and it is the extraordinary belongs to those that create it the extraordinary belongs to those that create it and what really struck me was no one's going to hand you an extraordinary life you don't they don't just go around the street going ah Well done. You can have an extraordinary life. You have to create it. You have to build it. And you can build any life you want. Like the resources that are free online. Like go Google, How Do I Feel More Confident? and watch YouTube videos on it. It's unbelievable. Like if you want to build a confident, happy, financially successful life with a cool business, you can. You just need to go and do it. And. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it, not to the people who sit around talking about it. And on that note, I should probably stop sitting around talking and go and build my
1: life. <laughs> A.K.A. get off your ass. y'all. <laughs> I've got one final question for you. Sorry, this is going to be a little bit deep. We started the conversation with you talking about lack of confidence and that kid on the playground who you went up and talked to and he said – well, we're talking about the I hate Alan Club or whatever awful thing he said. What would you say to that person if you saw him today? I probably wouldn't. I don't, I don't.
3: I no longer play other people's games. I play my own game and I just go off and do my own thing. And like that has worked incredibly well for me. There's lots of people doing entrepreneurship training and I didn't want to get involved. I don't care what they're doing. I've built my own thing and done my own thing and I probably wouldn't say to him, I'm just going to go and live my life and do my thing and be the best I can be and I won't even engage. I think that was the problem in the past is I wanted to be a people pleaser. I wanted to be loved. Like in the past I would have, Tried to turn him round and make him realise I am worthy of being in the gang. Now I don't care. I just want to go off and live my life and have fun.
1: Ah, that's a beautiful way to end. Thank you, Alan and Katie.
3: Thank you, Carl Thank and Doug, you. for having us on the Mile High Podcast.
0: All I right. Never did, joined
3: the Mile High Club
0: <laughs> before. Did, Sorry, was that a question? No did, it's did a you statement. I okay. I was joined. Okay, gotcha. I thought we were all going Anyone around here. <laughs> yeah. Join the Mile High Club. mile deep
2: club in the basement
0: (laughs) we'll talk this is getting weirder where can can people find you guys I don't even know (laughs) you've outdone me I'm not sure where to go from there yeah, where can people find you
3: guys? If they want to find us, uh, you can find like Katie's incredible visualizations of index funds. And what we're up to is all on our blog, donagan.com, rather egotistically named after me. Um, if the business support, have a look at Rebel Entrepreneur or rebel business school just google those and you will find us there's free courses there's the podcast um and then the rebel finance school is housed on our blog at the moment so like that's where you'll find most of what we're up to and what we're doing but yeah if you're listening and want help building your life then listen to the podcast
0: fantastic thanks so much it's been really good chatting with you both
3: yeah thank you for having us in the basement
0: thank you (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show that was the mile high five podcast and I'm Doug Cunnington the balder host and Carl Jensen is the cool sexy one if you dig the show please do three things for us number one tell a friend a family member an enemy about the show we really don't care who you tell maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like it's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in in person. So the virtual kind is pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.